Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we'll be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Amelia and Akina. Today, we are so excited to welcome Q Tran. We will be discussing keeping career momentum as a cinematographer, work-life balance, motherhood, baking bread, and working on high-profile TV shows. This is part one of our interview with Q. For some context, this interview was recorded before the start of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so we're just going to start right off the bat with how did you start as a filmmaker and how did you become a DP? Am I a DP? I mean, am I? It's like, when did it take, what, what, what did it take to call yourself a cinematographer? Like for so long, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just, uh, I work on camera, you know, like it was, it's so hard. Like, I don't know when, anyway. Going back to the beginning, um, I was a photographer. Uh, that's my my visual background. I did that for a long time. And I did that mostly to inform my paintings, but then I kind of dropped painting. And I was like, oh, I like photography better. And then I did that. Uh, and then I decided like, I'm just gonna try something new. A lot of it has to do with 9-11, but that's a whole long story I won't get into. And I applied to film school and I moved to LA didn't know anyone, you know, didn't have any family or anyone in the business really that I knew, except for my, at the time, my boyfriend's sister, who was an editor, Tatiana Regal. She's like, I, Tanya. And anyway, we moved to California and I went to film school and at UCLA. Got my Yay, master's. Yay, for the first time, we have a UCLA. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to You can see it, yeah. <laughs> Love You're the it. first one. We've been talking to everyone who's an AFI alum, and I'm like, just yeah. waiting for the UCLA well, to come. I almost went to AFI. Yeah, me too. But you feel like gave me money. So I was like, I'm poor. <laughs> me too. <laughs> you know, at the time, I'm like, you don't know anything. Like, right. I don't know. You, I didn't know anything. It was a long time ago. And so I was like, I'll just go to UCLA because they're giving me money. And um, and so I went there and I, I had the best time. And that was really my my entree into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Before that, I'd only done stills, you know, worked for newspapers as a photojournalist. And so, you know, I I didn't really know what I was doing, what I was getting into. Um, and I guess now I can call myself a cinematographer, but like it took many years to get there. And and there's always that imposter syndrome and, and always wanting to be better and one striving to be a better artist, a better storyteller, all that. Um, so that's like everything in a nutshell as far as like becoming a filmmaker. I'm curious, did you feel that you still couldn't call yourself after a cinematographer after certain projects or like, did you have to say like, oh, I had shot these features and now I'm a cinematographer? You know what I mean? Because I feel like everyone struggles with that, but the line is different at where the connecting point happens where everyone's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go out and introduce myself as a DP. I can't remember. I, I honestly, it's been so long. Like, I don't even know when that switch happened for me. Mm-hmm. No, whether it was like the first time I saw a feature I'd shot at a film festival and then it was like, I had my single title, yeah. card, you know, director of photography. I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> that's probably when I felt like comfortable introducing myself as a director of photography and, and that that happened like I was really lucky one of my first features um premiered at Toronto and 
you know, at the party, you have to introduce yourself. Oh, here I am. I'm Q. I, uh, I worked on this film. I was a director of photography, you know, like, yeah. you know, there's that like, oh God, am I, am I, am I insecure about this? Cause like, am I a fraud? You know, even though my name is on there and everything, it's like, I just, you have so much to learn as a, as a storyteller and it's never ending. Right. I'm always like a student of, of this, of that. And so it's like, at what point do you call yourself that? But I'm a cinematographer now, damn it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's it's when you see your name on on that single title card. Then it's like, oh, I guess that's what I'm doing now. And it feels good. That's cool. So you, you've done a lot of features and um, can you talk about your transition into features first? Yeah, so, so how I got into like the whole filmmaking thing. So after UCLA, I, I had done a million short films there and that was mm-hmm. amazing. Like that's really how you cut your teeth as like being yeah. on set and just doing it. And I always tell my mentees, I do a lot of mentorship. I always tell them like, just get on set and do it because that's the only way to learn. You can keep talking about stuff, but like you have to cut your teeth. And I think doing all those short films and, and meeting all these people and collaborating on so many different genres, uh, working with so many different styles of directors, mm-hmm. um, even now, like in television, it's like you work with a different director every episode and you just learn so much and you don't realize how much you're learning. And I always tell my mentees also like when they have really hard projects and I was like, it's so hard. I'm like, hey, I have those days too. I have those projects too. But those are the ones that you glean the most from. Those are the ones that really teach you the most about, you know, what you could work on as an artist and a collaborator um, and your storytelling abilities. But it's the hard projects that really push you forward mm-hmm. and, and, and build that skin that you need to survive in this industry. Right. Because you really need that thick skin. But now I, I digress. And so after UCLA, I I just, you know, I was shooting all these short films and then I did everything else. I, I said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I had shot all these like I worked a lot with my my buddy up in San Francisco, um, Jordan Debris, who did a lot of Nike commercials and stuff. So like I was doing and this is back on like the 5D days. So mm. I did all these like many spots working with, you know, amazing players, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, but like, you know, all these amazing athletes and just getting into that kind of world was really mm-hmm. fun. Um, Cause that kind of harkens back to my photojournalism days where you're like, mm-hmm. you're on the, you're, you know, you're on the floor, you're, you're in, you're in the trenches and you're just like doing it right. Handheld mm-hmm. going after stuff, getting the shots. Um, so that was really great. I also like did still photography still on the side. I did a lot mm-hmm. of headshots. I shot weddings. I know it's like, I did everything. It runs again. Um, mm-hmm. So that was just to like kind of pay the bills, but just to keep on honing my craft. Cause I feel like that still photography background and training really informs my, my um, moving images. You know, as a still photographer, you're interacting with your subjects. Mm-hmm. You're You're like, directing them Mm -hmm. and so that really helps as a camera operator and i tend to well not anymore but like when i was first starting out i operated everything and i feel very comfortable behind the camera operating and then having that rapport with the actors is so integral to telling a good story and making sure that the performances are good when the director's like how is that for you q i'm like that was good for me it was good for you you know or like a lot of times, like they'll put a lot of faith into the camera operator because camera operator right there and they, they'll see stuff that maybe you don't see when you're looking just at a little monitor, you know, you're like there through the eyepiece. 
and you're witnessing it and you're the closest thing to the event. And I, I just love that that energy. Mm-hmm. It's just um, it's just like this symbiotic dance. So I did a lot of shorts, a lot of commercials. Uh, and then I got asked, I started getting asked to do features. And then one of my classmates, Justin Lerner, his feature girlfriend got into Toronto. And that was huge for me because it was like, you know, my big first festival. And I we all went to Toronto. We all got dolled up, bought the red carpet, uh, took pictures. I was like, this is so fun. It was so great. It's such an amazing experience. And and I got an agent from that. And I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I don't think it's it I, when people ask like how'd you get an agent? I was like, well, I my film premiered and then I just got a call, but you know, but I've been with the same agent now for for that long. Wow. Over a decade. Yeah, she's awesome. She's over a decade, Danica. Um, and she's really helped curate um, my my career and helping me choose the stories that really are impactful and, and that mean a lot to me. So, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over all the other projects I did, but like yeah. you know, it was really just cutting my teeth working on short films. I didn't really get into the commercial space or music video space because I mm-hmm. knew I wanted to tell stories. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay in the narrative domain and a lot of my classmates went to do commercials and I was like sometimes you know you have that like FOMO <laughs> you're yeah. like oh they're greener oh they're wow they're they're experimenting they're doing all these crazy colors and cool lighting I don't really get to do that in my narrative work but mm-hmm. you know I was like oh well like I'm gonna stick to this because I know that my desire is to be a filmmaker and I wanted to keep practicing my narrative storytelling and then and so like as they went off to do, you know, it looks, it's, it's cool. Like I, I'm still like, man, that's cool. But all the crazy stuff they do for music videos, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I no longer have FOMO obviously, but it's, it was a decision I had to make because I, I wanted, I needed to, to focus. And I tell all my mentees that now I'm like, well, what is it you want to do with your career? Do you want to focus on music videos? Do you want to do narrative commercials? Well, I want to do everything. I'm like, well, you know, you, you might want to really narrow it down because yeah. if you just kind of you're never going to make a name for yourself and and anything if you just do everything and without a goal that's just my philosophy but you know if you want to do features then you have to try to do short films to to tell a story mm-hmm. because it's a very different format from commercials yeah you know you're 15 seconds 30 seconds these days there's longer format commercials, but it's very, it's a very different beast. And then going from shorts to features is also very, very different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking about transitions. You're thinking about the arc, not just the character arc, but the visual arc. Does mm-hmm. each person have a, a certain, you know, focal length? Like, what is it, what is it you're trying to build? And you have feature length that you have to be incredibly specific and understand that that language has to carry throughout an entire length of a film as opposed to a mm-hmm. short film where it's like you can do some more interesting things but that's because it's not going to be tired by the end you know mm-hmm. so it's very different formats and you just have to like know what you're you're going to get into and I and I try to encourage my mentees to like you know try to pick something or two things you know if it's like 
music video and commercials. Okay, let's do that. And let's focus on that. What, what can you do to hone those skills? So I'm curious if you would say that there are certain parts in everyone's career trajectory that there is momentum that you have to build off of. So you say like you got your agent through that feature, right? Were you careful about choosing your next project? Because that's kind of how you think about, you know, oh, this has to be important because I'm building my career this way. Right. And there's like a moment of momentum there and how to kind of navigate that. Absolutely. And I'm still doing it now to this day. You know, it's like every project I take, I'm like, okay, well, is this a step up from the last one or is it a step down or is it a lateral move? You know, how can this project further my goals now? And so, and it's, it's funny because like within the goal, you have the subset of goals too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I want to do features. Okay. What kinds of features do you want to do? Well, I want to do genre. Okay. What, what genre? Horror? Dramatic? Comedy? Like there's, you have to really narrow your focus and then ultimately you get to be known for that. On the flip side, (laughs) you don't want to be pigeonholed. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, it's 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 a tricky balance, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Backtracking a little bit, you were mentioning that uh, you come from a kind of camera operating background. Are you you're very attached to the camera and like being yeah. present and operating? Um, as you grow in your career, you know how operators. How do you balance not necessarily having the chance to operate all the time now that you have operators at your disposal? Yeah, I. I I couldn't do without operators because at first I was very like, wait, why do I need an operator? Well, it's because you need to free up your brain for everything else that happens on set. And it's like, I couldn't live without having operators now, especially on the the scale of the projects that I'm, I'm doing. It's just like, there's just so much other stuff that you have to navigate. And, and it's very different in feature world versus mm-hmm. television. So I don't know, we can talk, we can touch upon both because mm-hmm. I really do have, you know, one foot and features one foot in. Yeah in television and it's, it's very different systems. And, uh, you know, pre COVID, I would always try to have one of my mentees come on set with me and shadow me mm-hmm. for at least a week, because like it, it takes a while to get it into the flow. And it's like very intimidating the first time you step on a, a big set, you know? Um, but it's, yeah, we could, what do you want to talk about? Like, do you want, because it's, I would talk differently about television versus, versus uh, feature. Actually perspective on both would be great if that's yeah. doable. Yeah, just ask me anything. I guess what's the difference, re- like working with an operator on like a feature versus like operators on a TV show? Yeah. Okay. So I'll talk about features first. So in a, it's insane. Okay. So there's like a studio. If you if you're at a studio level feature, you know there's a studio there, the producers, um, and then you have the actors and you have you know director and stuff. So it, there's much less to navigate on a feature set, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just my experience um, versus a television set. Cause like on television, there's a lot of writers. So in feature world, it's like, I'll operate some features, mm-hmm. but if there's like a high demand for something specialized, like steady cam, uh, then I'll usually like ask for um, an A camera operator who is a steady cam. Like on my last movie, um, my buddy, Nick Miller, he's an incredible steady cam operator. He, he also did like the Minx pilot uh, for HBO with me. Um, so he, he's an incredible technician. He comes from a dancing background. Mm-hmm. And oh, wow. so, yeah. So movement is really, um, important to me in camera movement. Cause mm-hmm. I love to do lots of complicated blocking, mm-hmm. um, when possible and, and organic blocking, which allows the actor to move 
from a space to space. That's also how I light. I like to light the space knowing that like the actor may go here and here and here without mm-hmm. limiting them. Say, hey, you have to hit your mark because I, I just want to allow room for the performance. Anyway, on a movie, for example, in that movie, we had a lot of steady cam and a lot of crane and I had a lot of navigate. I had to navigate a lot of stuff mm-hmm. with the studio um, and the schedule because it was a really intense schedule. So I had to be you know, on the with the AD and mm-hmm. making sure I could step away and work with them on the next scenes and the next days and, and all that. And I also had some splinter unit stuff. So for something like that, like I really need, I really rely on the operator to, after we do a blocking to, okay, here's the move. Okay, you got it. Okay. And then I go off and then I talk to the producers and I talk to the ADs and about the, the day and the next day and stuff. So, and then, or we do rehearsals about something else, or I, I run with a stunt team and we look at some stuff, you know, so like that allows the freedom to step away mm-hmm. and you're not there trying to balance a camera and work on the technical. And that's where you really have to like allow your, your operators to, um, to have some, um, ownership. And when you can find that collaborator, it is a beautiful thing and you never want to let them go. So like, I, I have a lot of repeat operators that I work with and, um, like I've been working with them for a long time. So, and my same with my camera team and my DIT, like I've been with them for a very long time and I never want to let them go, but <laughs> now it's like, it's, it's once you find it, you want to glom onto it. So it's, you know, I think, I think most DPs would say like, once you have that operator, you, you're, you're allowed to focus on other things wholly without mm-hmm. trying to micromanage the technical set. And then the same thing with the gaffer. You now, when you find an amazing gaffer, you say, okay, um, yeah, you know, I, I'd love for the key light to come here, just a tiny bit of backlight. Uh, it's okay if they step into darkness here. And then when they emerge here, maybe they can um, be, uh, be side lit, like maybe a skip bounce there. Great. Okay, I'm going to go over here. And then you let them do their thing. I'm not going to sit there. I'm not one of those DPs that's like, okay, let's put the um, the 360 with that uh, 216. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't. I don't need mm-hmm. to itemize it because I trust that my team is going to to do it. And mm-hmm. it's not that you like, always like that. Or did, it, did that come with, you know, having the same gaffer or like having the same crew? Because I'm just curious because a lot of people like start out and they're very specific. Right. They're like, yeah. I oh, want yeah. this unit, this unit. This. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't always like that. <laughs> like when I first started, like I also used to gaff a lot mm-hmm. um, on all the short films and stuff. Cause like, I think it's important for DP to understand all the different uh, roles on set. Mm-hmm. So you understand, you, you understand their mindset. And like, when I was gapping, I'd be like, the DP's telling you what unit to you. I'm like, I know what unit to you. You know, it's like, so I don't want to be that DP then calling it out, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's just tricky. It's everything has to, you have to navigate it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the beginning, of course, when you're in film school, like nobody knows what they're doing. So it's like, oh, let's get that um, tweeny and uh, pan it right about 30 degrees. <laughs> no, no, lamp right. No, no, other right. You know, <laughs> nobody knows what they're doing in film school. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, for me, I, I had no idea because I didn't come from like, well, I wasn't like, when I was 10 years old, my father gave me a Bolex, you know, like, <laughs> no, I, I was a kid. I was like on the playground playing with broken Barbie dolls or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, it's an evolution, I'd say. Need to hire an underwater cinematographer in the Caribbean or a drone certified cinematographer in South America? How about a Mandarin speaking cinematographer that can work in Europe? 
We gotcha. Our comprehensive database of over 300 members is searchable by location, language, specialties, affiliations, and genre slash categories. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. Can you talk a little bit about scaling up? Because you've been doing a lot of bigger projects recently. And like, how do you navigate scaling up from like indie projects onto like big studio projects uh, and, and your workflow and like how you manage your team and all that stuff? Well, it's so funny you say that because like I had done a, a couple of big TV shows and then and then I and then my agent was like, oh, this movie keeps asking for you. I'm like, what? No, I'm not going to do an indie right now. Like I can't, it's so painful. It's like aggravating. It's torturous. Like the mental health is just going to suffer. Right. <laughs> I mean, we all know, right. It's oh like, yeah. And so, but then, uh, cause I just shot, um, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, what a, that, that, that was such an amazing experience. And like the mm-hmm. scripts were so incredible. And I was like, oh man, this is so important. And I feel like the subject is, it really needs to be talked about. And I'm so, so fortunate, so blessed to be a part of it. And, mm-hmm. and like my agent was like, oh man, this, this indie really wants you. I'm like, what? No, no, no. I'm not going <laughs> to go back to that after I had everything on this show. Right. I've had every and my crew is going to kill me if I tried to do it and he'd be like, hey, you guys do me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then and then um, she was like, well, OK, I just read the script and it's like it's so original. And I was like, uh, and I trust her. Right. Because at this mm-hmm. point, I've been with her for, I don't know, eight years already. And then uh, I was like, fine, I'll read it. And I read it and I was like, this is crazy. This is insane. Like, I've never read a script like as Palm Springs. Mm. And so I was like, this is amazing. What's the budget? Like 30 million? And she was like, uh, it's like four. And I was like, <laughs> no. I was like, no chance we can make this insane movie $4 million. So um, uh, we did it. I called in all my favors. Mm-hmm. I you know, up until then I'd been giving my crew con- very consistent work um, for the last several years and and uh, you know everyone's like yeah let's go let's go and uh, and so I I got like everything Panda Vision gave me everything I I asked for the T series and Amorphix uh, you know Mike Carter there is a huge champion so yeah I I I like got free Techno cranes and like process trailers everything I was like. I was like, hey, can you help me? I brought, you know, and we just saw from the big show. So I was like, hey, I'll, you know. And then, so I think when the scripts are that, that good mm-hmm. and special, you kind of have to follow your heart and your instinct mm-hmm. no matter where you are in your career. So even though I had been doing like big studio TV projects and, and um, like, you know, I don't want to say like prestige television, but like, you know, it, I don't like using that term very mm-hmm. much, but you know, a limited series is is um really special and so i was like i don't want to take a step back but it was amazing at a great time and you know the crew loved it because it was like this kind of freedom that you don't have in a studio system and television and even though we shot it in 20 days um yeah i storyboarded every single shot and it was just like i'm i'm a major prepper you know, I, I I prep everything to the T. Uh, I like draw diagrams and everything, and I everything's very for laid every out. scene. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. I have all my drawings from that. I, I sometimes I post. I don't really share a lot of that stuff, but like people ask, I'm like, oh yeah, oh, yeah sure. I'll That's cool. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, there's like hand drawn, CAD drawings, like. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that. That's what okay. I was picturing. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. Layouts, like. There's like elementary, like my, my right. better than that, but it gets a job done. And I use colors and I just, the way I think visually and like draw stuff, like, you know, red is for a camera, B, uh, blue is for B camera. And I just draw things. I, you know, do, draw everything, dolly tracks, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to share some too. So anyway, so like that was, I don't want to say a step back because it was, it was just a fun thing. And I needed it in my life at the mm-hmm. time, just from mental health. I'd been doing all these shows and I was like way um, stressed out and burnt out on on those television shows. Um, I took a trip to Africa right before that and did a short film, a documentary, a, do- a short doc, which was life changing. Mm-hmm. Brave Girl Rising. And it was so it, like to this day, it's like I... I love hearing about the girl that we featured because she was able to go to university because of our involvement and, and everything and, and buying scholarship and stuff. So like that kind of work is always so fulfilling for the soul, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, sure. I can do these bigger projects and stuff, but I still like my heart is in these other socially impactful projects. And, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's always important. So, so yeah, so I did that and I was like, Oh, I guess I had to do something big next because I was an indie. And mm-hmm. then 2019. Oh, yeah. So I was about to. So then the pandemic happened mm-hmm. right after that. Right. And well, I did. I did some other projects, some other shows. Like I went back to television after that. Sure. Um, and then I was in New Zealand prepping a movie with Espen Sandberg, who directed like Pirates of the Caribbean and he is just an incredible filmmaker and so we were in New Zealand for a couple months and we were about to shoot when the pandemic struck oh yeah so we shut down and the new movie never came back um unfortunately a lot of Mm. films suffered that same fate but that was like gonna be a big one for me and I was super bummed but then I was like oh I get to spend time with my family and that was a whole other thing and then the pandemic you know which we could talk about or not. <laughs> Thanks, people. Not like, let's not talk. We, we're, we're all pretending it didn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. You kind of talked about this earlier, but I'm curious if you could talk about if you've ever felt imposter syndrome when you're scaling up big time. You know, like when you're on a big project that like when you were first starting, like when you got to a set that you were like, oh, wow, this is like. Of course. This is oh, like big, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, when I got my first HBO job, I was like, oh, God. And this was in 2016. And I shot a pilot and I was like, oh, God, I only know how to shoot like indie features. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm doing an HBO pilot. I'm like, how did this happen? And and that's a, a story in and of itself. I was at this film festival with a movie I shot. And the movie won best cinematography and like audience word. And, and then HBO scouts were there. I don't know if that is even a thing anymore. And they came up to me in the bathroom. I'm not even kidding. Well, I was in the bathroom. They were like, I was washing my hands. And the, these two young women were like, oh, Q uh, Tran. I was like, yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're from HBO. And we just love like what you had to say at the Q&A. And like, would you, would you want to come in and talk to us? I'm like, uh, this is a joke, right? <laughs> um, I was like, this is so weird. I'm like in the bathroom, these two young women, 
come up to me and, and I was like, sure. And so they set up a general meeting. And then I had a general meeting at HBO with like 12 people at a round t- up table. I'm like, what is happening? This is so scary. And they're like, oh, you know, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't Did know. Did you prep for that meeting? No. <laughs> I mean, like general meeting. Yeah. No, any, I'll like, dude, I didn't even know DPs could do general meetings. Um, and so like I met everyone at HBO and it was great. And, um, and then like, literally six months later they called and they're like hey do you want to shoot this pilot and i was like uh, yeah sure and i did it and it was a great time but i was like i had no idea what i was like i was like this is so scary because you know it's like hbo so that was my first scaling up opportunity and um i was like oh god oh god what if what if i mess it up what if i don't know what i'm doing but you know what i knew what i was doing because i know how to tell stories Right. And, yeah. you know, maybe I had bigger lights on that one and what have you, but like, I still knew what I wanted. And that's, I think that's, that's all you need is like, just be clear about what you want because mm-hmm. you're surrounded by all these amazing technicians. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you about my, my last show I just wrapped, but cause it was the same thing. No, I, it was like a whole different ball game, but we'll talk about that in a second. And, you know, I just trusted my, my team and they, and I still, I'm still in touch with all of them. And it was in Minnesota, Minneapolis, had an amazing career there. And um, it was incredible. But like, yeah, that was my first like big break to like shooting this pilot for HBO. And I was like, I'm so, how did I get here? I, I couldn't believe it. Even though I'm like, <laughs> that's a crazy story. Like, that was not normal, I don't think. Like, how did you get your first play? Well, it started in the bathroom <laughs> after a film screening. No, that's like so bizarre. I apologize. I'm going to fangirl slightly. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and uh, I saw that you are one of the DPs on Ahsoka. And yeah. uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because my Star yeah. Wars fan ass yeah, is like super excited. <laughs> uh, we, I was like keeping it under wraps, like, because we're not supposed to talk about anything, but right. they just the teaser. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be wearing a shirt that my friend Mai gave me. Oh, amazing. That like, is amazing. <laughs> that is yeah. so cool. Yes. Um, so that that was the other project that I was talking about, like um, imposter syndrome and scaling up. Mm-hmm. So like not a lot of people have worked on the volume before, mm-hmm. you know, but my buddy, my buddy, Dave Klein, who shoots um, the Mandalorian and got Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And uh, he recommended me okay. um, to the Lucasfilm family. And I'm so grateful to him. So before I started, this is like in 2021, um, November, I shadowed him on the Mandalorian because I was like, I have no idea how to work on the LED, on this scale. I'd done a lot of LED work. Like I felt mm-hmm. very comfortable with like car processing um, LED. I'd done a ton of that. I started doing that on Unbelievable actually. All the driving we did on that was LED and a mm-hmm. lot of people were like, wow, that's like, you didn't go to Colorado? I was like, no, that's LED. This is like whole new, at the time it was new, right? This mm-hmm. is like LED. And so I, I felt really comfortable doing that kind of work, but LED is a whole different beast mm-hmm. building assets from the get-go. And I had I had a half a year prepped on that and a half mm-hmm. a year getting so. So I shot on the Mandalorian and then I, I shot a bunch of um, second unit work on it mm-hmm. uh, for uh, um, Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. I shot a bunch of those scenes, the fight scenes and stuff. So that was really informative. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, you, I didn't have to develop those assets and I call the assets are like in the screen um, on the screen, all the environment. Mm-hmm. I didn't build any of that. Like I didn't help to build that with ILM. And so, you know, I just kind of walked in on that. The Soka, you're there from the get go. We're building worlds and picking the skies and we're, we're exploring all the different like atmosphere opportunities. And, and so I can't really talk about like the yeah. things in too much detail because it hasn't dropped yet. But, um, you know, like you have to pick the, the clouds, for example, or the sunset or the sunrise, you can like pick and, and develop that. And it's like mind blowing. That's wild. Like, oh, That's crazy. More uh, atmosphere. Can we can we put can we make it move slow? Okay, on the day when we get to stage, and this is like six months before we're even going to shoot, you have to like know all this stuff. That's why I was like, oh, this is a perfect job for me because I love to prep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a whole new level of it, though. So like, I was like, are we able? Because I, you know, I was a new a newbie to this whole process, and Eric and I like we didn't we neither of us had ever worked on an LED. So we we're both like, what can we do for this? And he and I collaborated very closely and like, okay, well, let's, let's make this color temperature, this, and these practicals should be able to be, um, adjusted on the day, you know, dynamic. And so they're like, oh, these are going to be burned in. I was like, well, can we make them dynamic? You know? So it's like, everything is like, every detail has to be described. And it's like, as if you're on set and you're saying, okay, is that on the, the dimmer board? Can that practical be dimmed down 10 points or is that like just a bulb that we can't touch. And it's kind of the same thought process, the volume. So if you see like the sun and then the clouds, okay, can we increase the density of the clouds? For example, okay. Uh, and they're like, well, we can do it now and, and, and let's see. And then they're moving and I'm like, can they move, can we make it move slower or faster on the day? And they're like, okay, yes, we can. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing that you want to do that, we'll build it that way. So you have really, it's like every detail and you're like building the world and it's insane. So you're working very closely with the production designer and um, the art director and you're really trying to coordinate with everybody and, you know, working with cost. Okay, this color palette, it's going to be whatever red or something. So let's have some contrast here and not make the the walls too warm or something, mm-hmm. you know, like, so you're really working with everybody in, in every capacity and it's really a team effort, but uh, it's just... It's a that's a very steep learning curve. And I, how many I, years do you think we'll stop shooting on location? I don't. I don't think we'll ever stop. I hope we don't. You know, because it's like <laughs> it's. I, I I can't really get into the cost benefit of it all because mm-hmm. I don't know the numbers. You know, and I don't right. like giving you false information. But um, you know, I know for example on Andor they shot locations and stuff. So I don't know what their budget was versus ours, and you know what the final or et cetera, you know, there's so many variables and factors, but you know, there's different ways to make films. It's, it's not like, it's like saying, you know, when are we all going to use the airy camera systems or whatever? It's like, you mm-hmm. can't force anyone to, to use a specific type of technology. And then, you know, there's still film and film. I don't know how that would react to the LED walls. You'd have to mm-hmm. sync it up and everything. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing too, with the lighting and stuff, like the syncing up of the screens and, um, the more and you know there's all these technical issues that you're you're constantly dealing with and then if the wall goes down then you're down and no one can shoot and then you know there's other issues and stuff that we discovered on set for example like if you do this too fast with like i can say lightsaber because that was yeah. in the <laughs> <laughs> and like, motion is like drawing too much then you have, like that pulse 
also it was a PWM issue. So you had to like mm. figure out how, what shutter speed to use to resolve that issue so that VFX is able to then pull it and, and do their work on it because the image is too. So there's like all these technical issues and mm-hmm. I did so much testing, mm-hmm. so much testing. Some of my tests cost like a million dollars, I'm sure. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, but I was like, have to have to test this because this is going to inform what ILM does in post. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this one sequence um, where I was like, oh, I'd like to use this. I, I can't I can't say anything, but I'd like to use this and that. Mm-hmm. But um, and they're like, oh, can we not do that on the volume? I was like, well, it, I don't know if it's going to be as um, powerful, you know, and the light won't reach the actors and it won't have the same kind of effect because mm-hmm. of the way it's like. Yeah. And then, and then you're tied into it. Cause if you do it on the volume, then you're tied in, you're married to that environment. You're married mm-hmm. to that and you're committing. And so it's harder to then use it as a springboard. You know, you, there's no room for um, improvisation. Not that you're like trying to improvise, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's something, if you see something organic happen on set, you're like, Oh, let's do that. Let's embrace it. You know? Mm-hmm. But whereas with this, it's like, you have to do what you planned, which is great when it works and everything but for this i wanted to do this like pretty elaborate camera movement which was like 270 degrees mm-hmm. and in order to light that and everything and with the effects that i was pitching it's like can we audition it and with the space the limitation of the the physical space of the volume i was like well if we have this thing travel from here to here it's going to eat up the space and you'll see that slow down mm. and i want to maintain momentum so what if we do it on the stage instead so you know like so you have to really understand the plan so far in advance know what your camera movement is know what the story is what the characters are doing and the blocking you know it starts mocap first like i was mocapping with dave filoni and we're like doing our stuff and, and i was like oh we're gonna run out of real estate in the volumes if the characters are running so that turned out on the stage instead you know but all is through all the different steps and it's months and months of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I really learned so much. I love the process, but it was really like, it was a lot of work. I was working brutal hours. Um, even though I was in LA, I like barely saw my family because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we, we shoot down in Manhattan beach and I live in Silver Lake. So it was like, you know, I'd wake up at like five o'clock and come back again at midnight. And so I just, I was just like, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but you want to stay on top of it. And and uh, and then at the end of the day, you're making Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> so I ain't going to cry about that. You know, that's like an incredible opportunity. It's so amazing. And the people yeah. are so wonderful. And it was just, it was life changing. You know, it's it's so nice to have those kinds of experiences mm-hmm. at, at, at my old age you know like just like <laughs> like wanting to to learn more as a filmmaker and a storyteller and to be exposed to this kind of technology is like oh, it, i feel so lucky you know that um, i got the opportunity but yeah it's it's a lot of work but you have to know you have to know that and and be prepared for that you need to hire a cinematographer no wait what and you're still listening to us oh you're being supportive we really appreciate that we really do what's that how can you support us even if you can't hire us? Well, you can tell people who are looking for IDP to take a gander at our extensive 300 plus member database. Or you can always help us out with donations. If you want to help us out with, um, you know, monetary support, you can go to icfcfilm.com friends to donate. We're an all volunteer run group, so we rely on donations to keep the lights on. 
Not the literal lights we use, though. Production foots the bill on those. Although, if someone wants to send us a 10K with power for our next project, we won't say no to that either. Is there any piece of advice you would have wanted to know when you were starting out? You know, I get asked this all the time. I'm like, I never know what to say. <laughs> um, but I'll, uh, it's kind of what I said earlier. I would say, like, know what your focus is and then go for that. You know, like what I'll ask you. OK, I mean, what 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 do you want to do? I want to shoot Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pull the hat. Uh, what? That's a great goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, getting into sci-fi is hard. I've been trying to do that and just trying to do things that kind of lead me down that road. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, we should try to you should have told me two years ago and then I could have had you come in and operate for me or something. Well, next time, <laughs> next, next time. season. <laughs> How about you, Akina? I want to shoot narrative features. OK. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just working towards it, I guess. What genre? Dramas. Family dramas, I'm really into. But I'm also into sci-fi. Like, I'm not... I like the structure of a feature. You know, I like the, like, camaraderie. I like the, like, length. I like that kind of... I I just... uh, That's the kind of project I like to do, you know? I think television, to me, seems crazy and fast. (laughs) and a lot you know yeah um it is it's all those things but it can also be very gratifying yeah i'm sure i'm actually curious about this since you're in television how do you foresee um this writer's strike affecting kind of the television world and specifically dps you know like how Mm -hmm. is that in tandem well i'll i'll tell you because we're in it and yeah (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so I know that it's incredibly slow in our industry right now across the board. All my friends are like, oh my God, what are you working on? Are you doing anything? You know, like, and like all these operators and, and ACs are like reaching out and gappers are like, hey Q, do you have any work? I'm like, oh God, I wish I could just like hire everyone, take everyone on yeah. my show, but I'm, I'm going to be in Toronto too. So it's like Canadian oh. crew, the worst. I'm like, I'm sorry guys. Like I'm going to Canada. But, you know, for example, on my show in Canada, like all the scripts are done. It's eight scripts of the limited series and the showrunner is also the writer. So like everything's done mm-hmm. um, and they've been done for a couple months now. We just like, cause they knew it was going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And everyone's like freaking out, but I'm just so grateful and not on a wall, not going to parrot. I'm so grateful that I have a job, mm-hmm. but you know, I know so many who don't right now and it's, it's really scary and who knows how long yeah. it'll last. Hopefully it won't be as long as a 2008 strike. I was in film school like, then so I, I I wasn't aware of the industry at the time you know mm-hmm. didn't impact me then I also didn't have any kids <laughs> now mm-hmm. I'm like oh, I got a mortgage to pay I got kids <laughs> to feed I got you know like all this stuff all these responsive fiscal responsibilities so I really feel for um my colleagues and 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 younger people like yourselves who are like struggling because there's not a lot of work right now mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah it's gonna we talk about that regularly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right now. Yep. <laughs> and you have to just, um, you know, make sure you have the savings and set and save wisely and spend wisely. And, um, you know, don't order all those random useless things that you don't need from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening right now in the industry. Um, 
I'm very fortunate. I have uh, this show and then another show lined up right after where all the scripts are written. So I'm okay for now. Um, After that come, say, May, if it lasts like three to six months, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's going to be slow. And I think everyone has to just be prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit about uh, balancing your work and your career with having a family? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's a platform that I, I speak about a lot because it's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I always wanted, I come from a very large family. I have five siblings. And so I always wanted to have kids and I always wanted to like, you know, have that. I'm very close with my siblings. Like we do a, we, my last name is trans. So we do like a trancation every two years where mm-hmm. we all go out. It's like 18 of us. It's kind of probably intimidating for other people witnessing mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. Um, massive like cousins and, 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 and aunts and uncles, like all like, you know, at a restaurant, like it's just it's it's probably intimidating and crazy but we we're we're so lucky and that's how we were raised we're very close with our siblings so like my sisters and brothers and i we just want to make sure like our kids the cousins the younger cousins have the opportunity to um grow together and and have those relationships because Mm. you know it's it's really important to me. And I think as being from, you know, in a Vietnamese culture, food and family are always what we do at gatherings, you know, whenever mm-hmm. the family gets together. It's like my mom is a brilliant cook. It's kind of where I get my passion for food mm-hmm. and um, cooking and baking. Although she never let me bake because it wasted energy. So then when I was like an adult, I was like, oh, I can finally bake without my mom like <laughs> saying, turn off the oven. <laughs> so you have to, you know, I, I think a lot of some mentees like reach out to me about like starting a family. Actually, I, I do that a lot. I just had another phone call with a woman who is pregnant a couple weeks ago. And I know a, a couple of friends, mentees, colleagues, they they send me their Christmas cards every year. And like, oh, I have this child because of you. And I'm like, oh, well, that's that's a lot of pressure. But like, <laughs> it's not because of me. But, um, you know, I just say it can be done. It's really hard though at the beginning especially when you don't have the financial stability and it's there's never a good time you're never going to feel ready to have a family because you're like oh but my career isn't where it's i want it to be i want to have my career settled before i have a child yeah Yeah. well there's this thing called like biology and (laughs) wait too long to have a child because then it gets like exponentially more difficult to conceive so Mm -hmm. you know the burden is so much on us as females who I'm um, just making an assumption that you identify as female, but you know, it's, it's that you're like Marissa to me, you know, my clock is ticking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it becomes tricky. Cause like I wasn't anywhere close to where I wanted to be from a career perspective. You know, when I, when I got pregnant, I was like in my early thirties, I was like, I, I just finished film school like two years ago, but I know that I want to have kids. I don't want to wait too late because I have friends who are struggling, who are older and, uh, you know, and, and so I was like, you know, we're just going to do it. So Mm -hmm. we just did it and we made it work. And I think it's just, yeah, maybe we didn't have like all the night nurses and all the nannies like Mm -hmm. early on because we couldn't afford it. Um, And we struggled and I took a hit with my my career. I had to turn down a lot of work because I had to watch the kid. And, but I was okay with that. You know, I I was okay with that. And you have to know that that might happen Mm -hmm. and 
Um, and we talked about momentum a little bit earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Touched upon that, that, and I lost a lot of momentum. Yeah. But I was okay with that because I was like, well, I want to have this beautiful child. I'm blessed with this, this baby now, and I'm not going to put any of my bad thoughts onto this child and blame the child or mama not being able to pursue her dreams because I know there's going to be time for that later, you know? So it's really hard and it's not easy. And even now, like I'm going away for over, you know, two and a half months and I, you know, my kids aren't going to be able to come because they are in school and it gets Mm -hmm. hard when you're in school. So there's that whole thing too. When they're young, you can take them, but then you have the find a childcare. So it's, it's, it's really hard to navigate, but, um, I think, you know, people have been doing it for thousands of years and you just find a way and you make it work. So it's, it's not easy, but it can be done. And I wouldn't change anything. I have two beautiful children and, um, a very supportive husband and we make it work. And at this point, we're very fortunate enough to be able to, to have help. And I'm not, I'm also not ashamed to say, like, I have people who help, to make it possible because then knowing that my kids are being taken care of very, um, you know, with so much love and attention, yeah. I am then able to go away and and do what I love and, and my passions. And I talked to my kids about it and I, I told them like earlier, a couple months ago, I was like, hey, I, I got a job, but it's out of the country. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to leave again. And they're like, why are you sorry, mama? You've been home for a long time. And mm. this great opportunity for you like my kids oh. are telling me this i'm like oh my god, oh my god i'm gonna cry but you know i think they see and and i also switched my mindset and explained to the children and made it not about money mm-hmm. oh so i told them listen kids when my son was five years old and i told this story before on on some on some of the interviews my son said to me mama were you there when i was born oh. i was like oh god Oh God. Uh, oh God. What have I done? I uh, traumatized my child forever. I was like, I need therapy. Yeah. Actually him to see a therapist. But I was like, I'm probably the one who needed therapy at that time. So he so at that point, that's when I started to focus more on television so that I could stay mm-hmm. home. Yeah. But now television shoots everywhere. I'm like, okay. Well. But that's when I made the effort to then find work closer to home. And it took that. It took my son saying, Were you there when I was born? I was like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. That was so profound. And that I will never forget that day. Yeah. I like cried so much, so much. And it was horrible. It was horrible. It really kind of like shifted my career to focus more on, on projects closer to home. And that's why I started to do more um television. So it's it's it goes deep, man. It goes super <laughs> deep. <laughs> but yeah, it's not easy. But if it's something that you want to do, it's you just gotta do it. And it, it'll work out. It'll work out, I promise. And I, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, it's so great. And we have these amazing family vacations. And and then the time that I am with the kids, it's like I'm with them 150,000%. Mm. And then when I'm away, I'm away. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's extremists. It's like, there's no middle, you know? But then at the same time, I'm like, well, at least I don't get bored of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm ignoring them. <laughs> or I'm on my device, you know, like yeah. and the whole thing about devices when <laughs> if you guys have ever kids, it's like the device thing is real. The screen time is real. It's just like, oh, my God, how do you get around that? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, it's like, OK, no devices at dinner time, no screen time at dinner time, et cetera. We're a family here. We're going to eat together. No phones. 
you know? So it's like, you have to make these adjustments that work to your family, but you also have to set these goals and make sure you, you know, if that's important to you, if that family unit is important to you, then you go for it. Right. Growing up, my family, uh, we would watch like, they don't speak, in, they didn't speak, my mom doesn't speak that well, but my dad's pretty good English, but like, we would watch like, I Love Lucy, you know, it's like situational comedy and stuff. And, and we would do that together as a family. And I have very fond memories of us watching TV together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's an ancient show that you guys probably don't know because you're young, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's a black and white show. And, you know, those kind of like early memory I had watching that program with my, my family and all gathering on their bed and watching it. And so like we do movie night and I, I'm sure that I'm a bad parent because we show them movies that they probably shouldn't watch until they're like 15, but whatever, they're eight and 10. I'm like, yeah, you can handle it. <laughs> You're mature. It, it's fine. My mom was making me watch anything with Harrison Ford or an American president when I was eight or nine. Yeah. Like, so I grew up on yeah. like Air Force One, you know, so it's, yeah. You're, yeah. they'll, they'll it's be fine. fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> Except yeah. my, one of my kids has like nightmares from like one movie. I'm like, oh God, it was probably yeah. like, like the mummy, they're like, it's too scary. I'm like, oh, the, the mummy is legit scary. Like when it came it's, out, I point. was like 11, yeah. 10. And like, I remember not wanting to watch it because I remember watching like a clip of it and it was so scary. Um, yeah. Now I but, love it, but it is like parts of it are genuinely really creepy. I know. So. And I'm like, they're traumatized. So well. Terrible. I mean, some kids' movies are scary too. I remember oh, when I was a kid, I watched Jumanji, and I like oh, yeah. that movie, like getting sucked into that game and coming out thirty years later. I was like, yeah, Jumanji oh, is scary because it's the concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, latch onto, and then they think about it, and then it's like spinning out of control. And it's like, oh, what if I get buried alive? I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> the mummy. I'm like, oh no, like mummy. You know, it's it's uh, it's hard, but I think as as the uh, the people who have to bear the children, it's especially hard for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, you just have to know. Like, you may or may not, and and it's, but if you wait till you're older, then maybe your career is where you want it to be. But then it's harder when you're older to take, like the energy level. I'm like, I have friends. Um, who are having kids now and they're like so tired, you know, they're like in their early forties and stuff. And it's like, they're so tired and it's hard. So it's like, what do you do? You know, know, I did, I did, I had kids earlier, so I could not be as tired. I'm still tired now, but (laughs) it's like different. B. Cindy is a woman in Latina-owned boutique camera rental house space in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling and as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.bcindy.com or write to rentals at bcindy.com for general inquiry. Directors of photography, can you talk a little bit about that, what that is and how that came to be? I love talking about it. I love talking about anything not related to cinematography. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so funny you ask that because I have two loaves of sourdough mm. on my kitchen counter right now cooling. Um, so my my dear friend and colleague, uh, Jean Tyson, I was like, she went to UCLA too. I don't know if you all know her. Um, she and I have been lifelong bakers. We're very passionate about like cooking and food. And, you know, we've connected about that 
a lot over the years. And during the pen, during 2020, summer 2020, we were like, you know, everyone's so antsy and no one knew what was happening. And mm-hmm. she and I decided like, what if we like start a charity and then we can like help these movements and these causes. And, and so we chose the LA food bank and um, we just started selling sourdough. <laughs> nice. Um, and, and uh, we raised so much money and provided like almost 200,000 meals. Wow. Yeah. So we're so proud of that. Um, and, and just so proud of the community that came together and support of this cause because there's so many food insecure families in yes. the world and you don't, yeah. you can't hard to recognize. Yeah. Uh, I can go on and on about that, but I won't. Um, and like throwing up my, we, you know, we, we had food stamps. So like, I know what it's like to really like not have the funds and uh, to be able to support our family. And like, so we chose that journey and they're a wonderful group of people and met all them and went to their distribution centers and everything. It was like so inspiring and we tried to keep it going, but you know, I think as people start to return to their lives, it's like mm. momentum again, here we go. Yeah. It starts to, it starts to um, fizzle out a little bit. So, but we were able to raise all that money. And then we did, we did another thing event last spring, I think for the editor's guild or something like they had us and so we uh, they invited us to have a little booth at their event we, we did that and it was really fun and you know we get asked to do stuff here and there mm-hmm. um, we also have like stickers and patches and that we uh one of my buddies graphic designer designed for us so it was just nice to like have things to do mm-hmm. but things that were for um a good cause yeah. uh, so we and you know, we we were just actually this morning. I texted her some photos of my bread. It's just like never ending. <laughs> Good porn, right? Bread porn. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know, we should do a pop up. So we're talking about that right now. Cool. I'm going away to do to work, but like maybe this fall we'll do a little pop up, and then we'll 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 do a, like a you know. I think that would be really fun, and we'll just yeah. like bread and and baked goods and and um, I'm you know. Happy. It's, yeah, no, I love it. And I've connected with like so many people. We, it's so fun to talk about, and um, it's very. Um, Jeanne is just incredible. She's so giving, and she's a good person, and an incredible mm-hmm. baker. And uh, so it was just so, you know, to to bond over that, to yeah. over passion. Yeah, uh, not just baking, but like giving back to the community. It's it's really special. You talk about how you have so many mentees, and like you know. Obviously, like community means a lot to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how, why that's important to you or, you know, giving back to the community, especially specifically in the mentee avenue, of you know, course, like yeah. your aspiring DPs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I do, I try to give back. I, I mean, of course I'm incredibly busy. Like everyone is with the family and the, the career. And then I'm also like, I, worked on the the ECAs. Um, I judge on that. Reminds me I had to watch all these films. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, whoops. Um, and, you know, I'm a mentor for the Film Academy and mm-hmm. um, and for the ASC. And so, like, you know, I, I have, like, a lot of mentees. Um, and I keep, I try to keep in touch with past mentees as well. And then I have informal ones. So those are, like, the formal ones for the program. Um, but I have a lot of informal people because uh, I, I try to 
you know, be open, like Mm -hmm. talking to you too right now. Like I know, I was like, I don't know who wants to hear me talk, but (laughs) whatever, I'm here, right? So, um, you know, people know that and they reach out and and ask and I'm like, yeah, let's talk, you know, like even if it's just like one phone call or two phone calls or something, you know, a lot of it's like work-life stuff, like I'm pregnant, you know, and it's like, and the Mm -hmm. operate, you know, stuff like that, which I love talking about because it's like, no one talked to me about it. Yeah. I had to forge my own, like, I'm just going to do it like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that as a person of color, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I identify as a, a woman. So I think that's really important to try to pay it forward and and to be an example and to be um, accessible, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I try to be very ex- as accessible as I can, given the time without taking away too much from my family time. Which is why like weekends, I, I try not to do stuff on the weekends, but so many committees meet on Saturday morning and judging meets on, I was like, oh, you know, it's like my, my husband made me like quit a couple of things. He's like, Saturday mornings is like game time now because like baseball games and football mm. games, you know, like rock climbing. So it's like, oh God, yeah, I can't miss these events anymore. So like, I'm trying to scale back a little bit because my kids are older and, and at the age of all these like competitions. So I, I don't want to miss out on that at all. Kids rock climb. That's so cool. No, my, awesome. my on the um, uh, rock climbing team. So. Oh, that's so cool. I just I went did. bouldering last weekend for the first time. I know. Oh, so hard. Yeah, it was pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. My fingers hurt. So <laughs> build, like, uh, I have these, like, like the um, build strength, like mm-hmm. these things, like those stuff. But um, we have a trampoline too. My son was a gymnast for five years, com- competed, wow. not doing baseball and tennis. So it's like, I'm like, how do my kids jocks? Like <laughs> two artists, parents, and then the kids are jocks. Uh, no, my, my other kids is, is um, an artist. But yeah, so it's it's really important, I think, as to, for someone who looks like me to be out there and, and to be just, well, last night, for example, I went to um, a screening of A Tourist Guide to Love, which is a shot in vietnam oh yeah about- that was shot by one of my classmates john king oh, oh yeah. cool you great job it's really it's beautiful and so 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 such a poignant story and i love seeing vietnam um, depicted that way so it was just really um really sweet and just to be out there and and meeting more asian filmmakers so that's that's kind of been a goal for me for 2023 because I, mm-hmm. I have a little more time this year. I have a little more time off in between projects. It's like go to these screen. I went to another screening of um, the accidental getaway driver uh, uh, because I, I know Jess Vu from Cape. I've done some stuff with them and or yeah, like panels and stuff. Anyway, um, so I'm trying to be more involved in the Asian community specifically this year. Like. I realized in my repertoire, I'm like, oh, I don't have any Asians in any of my shows. It's like, oh my God, I'm so whitewashed. Um, I'm just trying to represent a little more, you know, like on camera, I suppose. I mean, off camera, I always try to hire, you know, diversity and, um, and, and female operators and stuff when I can. But yeah, it's just like, I just want to represent more. And I think a lot of that has to do with like the last couple of years and everything that's going on politically and socioeconomically in the world and everything. So, you know, got to represent. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly generous of you. I think that's so awesome. Um, I think so many people, you know, you say, Oh, why would anyone want to listen to you? But it's like, we want to listen to you because I mean, for a lot of reasons, like it's inspiring to see your career, you know, it's like, you just like killing it out there. 
Yeah. Um, Second what Akina said. (laughs) I was like, oh, like last night, there's a couple people came out and they're like, oh, you're cute, Tran. I'm like, how do you know me? Like, because <laughs> this is my blonde hair. <laughs> well, I mean, it gives, you know, it gives hope that, like, we'll get there. You know, I think a lot yeah. of inspiring DPs, like, we're working, we're working, but, like, sometimes you don't know the right path, how to make that next jump, right? And so, like, we're waiting for, we're not waiting, but, like, looking for a trajectory, looking for a path. But everyone's path is so different, right? Because... Yeah. You don't yeah. know what movie you're going to shoot that gets you somewhere or gets an agent or gets, you know, and I think yeah. that that's what a lot of people are dealing with. And it's like, you know, don't give up, just keep shooting and eventually you'll get there. Right. That's what yeah. we're told. But yeah, sometimes yeah. it's hard. Right. Sometimes it's, Ten not, years. you know, for Ten every years. DP that's successful, we also talk about DPs that gave up. Right. Or like <laughs> someone quit. <laughs> Someone's- that's the thing it's like you can't quit it's mm-hmm. really hard but you have to be persistent and of course have talent and everything but like so much of it is just persistence but focus focus on what what it is you want to do you say narrative feature drama family drama great that find those scripts that are in that world you know mm-hmm. like i love the specificity you want to shoot star wars emmy great start doing sci-fi you know look like do anything that um oh great someone's at my door <laughs> like no no oh, it's fine he hit the door button while q goes to check on who's at the door we're going to take a little break and we'll be back in a few days with part two Thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to ICFCpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to tune in for part two of our interview with Q Tran. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Vandevelde, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung. <laughs>